We're preparing kids now for a world that doesn't exist right now. Hi, everyone. This is your host, Christy Hemingway. And we are preparing kids for a world that doesn't yet exist, and yet our instructional strategies, content, and resources so often have us swirling in the wake of change rather than leading the charge. Ed Curation is here to put educators out in front of the curve by connecting you with the newest, most innovative, and groundbreaking instructional resources appearing on the market in real time. Our Certified Ed Trustees program allows you to pilot resources for free and offer data and feedback to help shape revisions and the market as a whole. Our explorations provide free, bite-sized professional learning that addresses a wide variety of topics and needs and is completely flexible. It requires no release time or subplans. And you've already discovered our podcast because here you are listening. If you haven't yet visited edcuration.com to set up your dashboard, with all of its time-saving features, I encourage you to do it today. Get re-energized with all the new discoveries awaiting you and your students. You're listening to the Ed Curation Podcast. We bring you stories from educational leaders about the instructional resources, practices, and movements that are reshaping learning. I've had at least 15 students who have increased more than four grade levels. He used theater as a tool to make great human beings. My expectations are high for all of them. One of the things that I really love about teaching is the fact that every day is sort of unique and different and strange. Our guest today, Philip Lampron, was recently recognized as a top 100 visionary in education by the Global Forum for Education and Learning. After an extremely diverse 14-year career as an educator, he's currently pursuing his doctorate in educational administration and supervision and also leading Lampron Consulting along with his wife, Lauren. Philip and Lauren are definitely reshaping learning in so many ways. I asked him to start by sharing a little about his background as an educator, and it's not a short list. I taught elementary science. I also taught at an alternative high school in Pender County. I taught math there, high school math, middle school math, algebra one. I was a data coach for all the elementary and middle schools. I was asked to be an instructional technology facilitator. Became an assistant principal. Uh, I did a short stint at a nonprofit called Downey's Partnership for Children. Dean of Academics, upper school principal. Now, I'm just focusing on uh, educational consulting from my company. You have a really eclectic background. You've done a lot of roles in education. Um, Part of your story that really caught our eye was the partnership that you created with the college board and the pre-AP and AP classes that you initiated throughout your district. I started uh, being a principal at uh, the charter school I was at at Northeast Carolina Prep in 2017-18. Around that same time, the college board started piloting a program called Pre-AP uh, just to try to get kids um, access to the type of questioning and style of learning that they encourage in their, their AP level courses and to also get rid of some of the, 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 the background or, or the ideas that kids have that they can't access AP content that's too hard for them. They don't want to try it. So try to dispel some of that myth. My passions behind that was uh, like I said, I grew up in Duplin County and I did I did well for the school I was in. Uh, but then when I went to college, I felt somewhat out of place just because, uh, you know, it just there wasn't as much exposure in the small town I was in. 
as there was for pretty much everybody else that I interacted with at college. So I was really uh, wanted to make sure that our kids didn't never had that feeling, never had uh, feeling the feeling of being out of place when they stepped onto a college campus. So uh, Edgecombe County uh, has a lot of need and uh, their opportunities are lacking compared to some other uh, counties across the state. So we partnered with the college board uh, to use their pre-AP program and they're adamant, college board is adamant that if you partner in that realm, that every kid should be able to access these pre-AP courses, no matter their background, no matter, you know, what needs they have, if they're, you know, student with special needs or if they have a 504, like everybody should be able to access this content, allowed to, to opt into it, no matter, you know, no test score bias, nothing like that. So we did that. And uh, now our kids who are, who started that pre-AP program, they'll graduate next year. And they've made some incredible strides. We've seen really strong increases in their performance in the PSAT we've done for the last couple of years with them. And so I'm just excited they're going to do some really great things. Prior to doing that, were there there weren't any pre-AP or AP courses happening in your school or not in your whole district? So uh, so the charter school is a, is a, is a, it's a K-12 school. We operate independently of the the school district in Edgecombe County but the we did offer AP calculus whenever I first got there but I thought that was the only AP course so as we have progressed we tried to add more and more on um, this past year we did uh, AP Lang and AP Earth Environmental uh, AP Environmental uh, we've also done AP US uh, I think that's all of them but we're Again, just making sure that we continue to expand those options and opportunities for kids to be able to access those uh, across the county. So uh, I have a lot of connections with other principals in the county, like my wife included. Um, so we've all kind of conversed and discussed and tried to make sure that we're offering as much as we can to our kids to expand AP opportunities. And um, yeah, so the pre-AP program has allowed our kids to see that, you know, it's not some some out of reach concept that they could take an AP course and be successful at it because the type, the way in which we teach all of our underclassmen courses align with how AP courses are taught as well. So you said that your results have been really impressive. Um, talk about kind of the specifics of that. So you're seeing more kids, more kids graduate, more kids headed to college. Can you, can yeah. you kind of compare the numbers for us a little bit? Yeah, for sure. So specifically with that AP, um, that the group that started a pre-AP pilot program with us, their uh, PSAT scores, the last time we ran the numbers had gone up, uh, I believe, 80 points on average, somewhere in that realm um, for their pre-SAT scores and PSAT. And for our scholarship offerings has been really incredible for the size of the school that we are. So the first year I was the principal, well, the year before I was the principal was our first graduating class. And I want to say they had about 1.6 million dollars in scholarship offerings for a class of 45 I believe all of our graduating classes so far have been at around 45 so that was the first and excuse me is 1.3 and then the next year was 3.1 million dollars in scholarship offerings the next year was five lower five million dollars in scholarship offerings and then uh, the next year was right at five again uh, and then this past year uh, we had one kid herself who was offered like 4.7 million in scholarship offerings. And the class as a whole was at, I believe, 8.7, somewhere in there, or eight and a half million dollars for around the same size uh, graduating class. Wait, so you said one girl just by herself was offered $4 million in scholarships? 
Yes. Uh, from all the, you know, she applied to a variety of places, yeah. but she was, yeah, yeah. she was also our, you know, our valedictorian. So she ended up going to Carolina. Um, and she also, while she was in high school in those same four years, she also got her associate's degree. Um, she added on that many classes, you know, from the community college to get them both at the same time. Uh, so, so yeah, she, she just, she, uh, she worked really hard and did some, some really impressive things. Yeah. We're going to know her name someday. Okay. Right. Yeah, for sure. But for sure. Yeah. She's going to make her mark. That Absolutely. is so impressive. Um, and just really inspiring. So if an educator or an administrator um, was listening and thought, gosh, how do I get that kind of partnership going? You know, I'd love to expand my AP courses. I'd love to raise the bar on rigor for my students. How do, how do I get started with that? How did you do it? Yeah. So um, so at the time, as a pilot program, we had to apply to be part of it. And we were one of about 100 to 110 schools in the country that were chosen to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. But now they have since expanded. The college board has to allow everybody to access it. So uh, on their website, there's a pre-AP section now. You can go in there. You can uh, you know sign up and reach out to be a part of that. It's widely available now. Uh, there are trainings that they require teachers to go to. It's just going to be called a pre-AP course. So there are right now they're doing them virtual you know, for COVID, but typically yeah. uh, they do them in various places across the country, just like they do the, the AP summer trainings, um, you okay. know, around us along the same realm. So you would pay for teachers to go to the training, but that when you pay for the training, that also includes your payment for books because some books come with it as well. Um, so now the college board has been adamant that their pre-AP content matches with your, your state content. So it's, um, it's not your your sole source for curriculum, but it does match with the the content standards um, from across the nation. They could, they have crosswalks and things that kind of show like where do we match up? Where are some areas where you might have to add a couple of things in for your state specific stuff? But they do really well with those materials. And um, but yeah, it's widely available now on the, the pre AP. Uh, excuse me, on the College Board website on their pre AP tab. I wondered if this was a case of if you build it, they will come or if it was work to get students past that mindset that Philip mentioned, thinking that AP classes would be too hard. One of the big um, pushes that we had with this was trying to, again, increase our participation in uh, our AP courses. So the first year I was there, we did AP calculus, and then the next year nobody wanted to sign up for any AP courses. Um, So we didn't have any. And so since then, we, we really pushed that partnership. And, you know, this past year, we had 18 kids who took those courses for the AP environmental and AP uh, Lang combination. Mm-hmm. And so that, that's a big increase for us uh, yeah. for because we again, we have a, a class. Well, this class is about 70 kids or so, um, but that's a big chunk yeah. of that 70 that decided to take AP courses last year. Oh, my gosh. It's such an advantage. It gives them such a head start on their college work. Absolutely. I remember telling my kids who also had the same reaction that you described that like a- AP classes, it's going to be too hard. It's going to be too much homework. I said, it's not really like that. It's just a class with a different culture of learning. It's really about students who are more invested in their own learning and who, who have um, more at stake with the outcome. I think kids have this idea that it's just about twice as much work and it, that's not what it is. Right. No, it's a different way of thinking. It's a different way to, you know, embrace the content. Um, yeah. The AP 
courses and the, the way things are structured is to help our kids think more critically, which, because again, we're, we're preparing kids now for a world that doesn't exist right now. Right? Right. The occupations they're going to inhabit uh, are <laughs> may not even be created yet. We haven't so, even like, imagined uh, our, them yet. Right. So like, we have to create kids who are ready to interact with each other, who are ready to learn new things, who are able to access, you know, the the internet to find out new stuff like you know what i mean like we're in the age of information there's nothing that's not available to them so we just got to make sure that they use the information that's available to them in appropriate ways and like mm. you know with the knowledge that they have do good things yeah so good um well i want to transition because you have transitioned into being an yeah. Yeah. consultant and i'd love to right. hear more about that um one of the things that you offer through Lamprong Consulting is a classroom management training. And I'd love to hear about why that was born. Can you talk about why you created the course and kind of what the key components are of that course? Sure. Sure. Uh, and so that particular course I work, um, I use a lot of materials from uh, the Center for Teacher Effectiveness. Um, and so I have a, a, a partnership with them for that particular course. But like my passion behind that is my biggest there's a lot of things that I was not great at, you know, when I was a teacher, yeah. but the one thing that I felt like I was consistently good at was caring about kids and building a relationship with them. There's a portion of educators who feel like it's their job to teach the content. The kids should focus and learn about it and just pay attention and go home and do the homework. And that's all well and good. And I believe that, but like kids, I think it's Rita Pearson. It's like kids don't learn from people they don't like. Yeah. <laughs> We've got to uh, be able to connect with them on a personal level being able to, you know, take time out of your day to to really embrace the kid and let them know that you care about them as people, regardless of what happens in class. Right. Like um, so that's that to me is where classroom management comes from is the relationship that you have with kids. There's just they're still going to mess up because they're kids. You know, we're still I mess up as an adult. But the fact that you connect with them is what allows you to be able to bring them back into the fold or allows them to feel like. Yeah, I messed up the day, but tomorrow I'm going to come in and it's going to be a blank slate. And it's okay. Like, I still want to go to this person's class. Um, so, yeah, the like one of the ways that we do that is by keeping kids engaged in the work and engaged in the content. But they're much more willing to be engaged if they know that you care about them and are compassionate with them and, you know, empathetic with their needs and things along those lines. So, yeah, the 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 classroom management area really deals more with, like, how do we. Uh, get kids from various learning backgrounds and learning styles. How do we get them engaged in the work? If we can keep them engaged, they're much less likely to to uh, act out. And then when they do, you know, we got a few structures in place that we work on that with um, and some refocus areas within the classroom is preferable. We really want to give them the opportunity to, hey, you messed up, go collect your thoughts, write down what they are, refocus yourself and let's come back into learning. And so if they can stay in your room while they do that, they still hear the content. You know, they may not be taking notes right now while they're refocusing it and writing out, you know, their thoughts about what just happened, but they're still hearing the content. So it's still you're able to keep them feeling as part of that classroom community without separating them, uh, you know, from their peers, if that's possible. Mm -hmm. There's going to be times when it's not. There's going to be times where you have to take other measures. But the goal is to be able to redirect the behavior and still keep them as part of the family. You know, it's so interesting to hear you talk about that because you're talking about the hot, the most, the key components and the highest impact strategies for what we call classroom management 
are really social emotional learning and realizing that they are the axis of the wheel for all the learning that is going on. And so I'm guessing that you saw those components missing in a lot of classrooms because honestly, the teachers from my generation, that's not how we were taught to teach. We were taught not to smile until January. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I've heard that a lot. And honestly, I've been given that guidance a lot. Um, And I do, I do know, like, and I agree that you have to be firm early on and, you know, set your rules and, you know, stick by them and start out. Um, But yeah, we always, we always called it a family. And there was one year where I taught in a a trailer, you know, outside um, a mobile classroom. And I loved it because (laughs) we, when my kids, uh, if they, if, if something happened at their elective courses, if they got in trouble, they would, somebody would come tell them the class, hey, Mr. Lampron, we didn't do good. So what did we get back in the house? That was, that was, the, the, that house. was the comment. Was, yeah, the, the trailer was our house. What did we get in the house? So we're going to have a family meeting. And uh, so they had electives at the end of the day. Uh, and so the next morning, if I had a bad report, when they came in, there would be a table set to the side for the kids' names, specifically who I had. And we we're going to get started and then me and you and the other person are going to sit over here and have a family meeting and then we're going to come back to the class and uh, and get rolling. But it was, I love that. Like uh, it was a good feeling. It was just, it just made it feel like it was ours, you know? Yeah. Uh, like your own cozy place that was far away from right. the big bad world out there. <laughs> right. Right. It was cool. I get that. Um, so I feel like another thing that you're passionate about is differentiated instruction. And mm-hmm. so the strategies that you teach in your consultancy around differentiating, are they curriculum agnostic and are they content agnostic? Yes. Are they things that can mm-hmm. be used by any teacher in any content area? Yes, yes, they very much are. Um, again, it, it typically deals with, you know, the multiple modalities, uh, multiple learning styles. There, there's a lot of websites now that where you can, you can give kids uh, the same article, but pick a different Lexile level, right? Like you can... Uh, ensure that kids are reading about the same topic, but on the level that they can access. Definitely curriculum agnostic, you know, things that can be used everywhere. And there are certain ones that are going to fit, you know, certain subjects better. But for the most part, they're they're pretty universal. I feel like they're all things that we know and that, you know, I've heard said over and over, but like reminders of how do we get back to that? How do we get back to trying to make sure that we touch every child uh, and help them access the content in their own unique way? Could you give us an example of a lesson utilizing some of those high impact strategies? So one of them that we that we teach in that particular uh, training is to to tell a story. And but within that story, you're getting kids to repeat it uh, multiple times. So let's say if we're doing um, the water cycle. Right. So let's say we start with evaporation, but you, you're going to build in hand symbols with it. You're going to build in like if you're, you know, acting out the, the water rising up from the earth and you're, you're doing a little jazz thing as they come up. Right. There's a hand gesture that goes with it. All right. So then once we go through evaporation, we'll go to condensation, do the same thing. Water settles, water settles. But we add that on to the evaporation part. So we're repeating evaporation, evaporation, water moves up, water moves up, condensation, condensate. So it builds into this, uh, you know, a, a song where there's, there's hand gestures, there's, um, you know, typically with music, you get the, you're understanding it better because you're memorizing just a tune instead of, you know, yeah. the specific definitions. Um, and it, it builds to just long songs and you can do it with, 
you know, social studies and tell stories of, you know, historical events, do the same thing. You, you know, you're building in uh, ways to, to hit different learning strategies and learning styles with the same exercise. Yeah. Yeah, and there's repetition and there's movement and all of those things that really enhance cognition. Right, exactly. Do you have a favorite success story from your one of your classrooms or one of the classrooms that you oversaw as an administrator related to the work that you're doing now? So specifically with like the pre-AP process or pre-AP uh, program that we mentioned earlier, uh, one thing, a couple of stories that I feel like very much um, exhibit what the college would wanted to happen out of the pre-AP partnership. Philip shared the story of a specific eighth grade student who was really struggling in math. And she ended up being so disappointed, even kind of crushed, to be moved into a lower class away from all of her friends. But Philip and the math teacher knew that they needed to address this girl's learning gaps in order to better position her for eventual success. So they moved her. But then her determination and the content of the pre-AP courses in 9th and 10th grade enabled her to catch up. And by her junior year, she was back with her original math group and succeeding in her coursework, which was such a victory for the student, not only academically. Another young lady who, uh, same thing, started out in 8th grade math. Again, you know, went into high school, started taking pre-AP courses, uh, worked incredibly hard and got herself to the point where she's taken those AP courses last year too. And she now has, uh, she's already gotten um, different things from Virginia Tech and Xavier and like, just again, like doing incredible things. Uh, some of that you, you also attribute to the kid, right? They're good kids. They work hard, but I, I do feel like that our AP, our pre-AP partnership with the college board help kids feel more comfortable transitioning into AP courses. Those stories are really powerful to me. Well, yeah. And the kiddos who were able to really dive in and take advantage of those pre-AP and AP courses, they they just, um, if they hadn't had that choice, right. you know, their life could have gone a completely different direction because right. that kind of achievement at that level really changes a, a student's self-perception you know, yes. about what they can accomplish and who they are as a person. And they start to see themselves as, as smart and powerful and somebody who can right. achieve. And that really changes their whole trajectory. Right. And, uh, you know, when we started out with those, the college, college board partnership, there were a lot of parents who were nervous, right. On edge. Like, uh, is my kid going to be able to, and some of the kids were as well. Like, I don't, I don't know if I can do the pre-AP courses just because they had AP in them. So we, we had to, you know, overcome that hurdle early on. The ones who really did buy in, I saw an incredible amount of growth from, and um, they really, even the kids who maybe didn't take the, uh, the AP courses this past year, or that the class that's going to be a graduating class this year, they're still worked. They're incredible. They have incredible work ethic. Um, and so it's just fun to see them shift to just such an educational focus that they know, like, when I come to school, it's about school. It's about academics. I, I'm excited to see what this graduating class does. So I feel confident they're going to have uh, tens of millions of dollars in scholarship offerings based on you know, the things I'm seeing right now and the things that we have seen in our, our graduating classes in previous years. So good. And I was thinking earlier, as you were talking about your scholarship offerings and such that 
those kids, um, they come to school and start to take it seriously. They start to see themselves as scholars and that that's a real thing. Right. And um, yeah. that it's their life and their responsibility to move forward with it and to take school seriously. Um, and, it, and then it starts to shift the culture of the whole school. Speaking of shifting school culture, I want to mention again, Philip and his wife continue to work with schools and districts in North Carolina and all across the country through Lampron Consultancy, LLC. They consult on public and community relations, targeted instructional coaching with classroom data collection and feedback. They provide executive administrative coaching and project leadership and customized professional development. They even consult on fundraising. Since I had a pretty diverse experience with education, I feel like I can offer some support in a variety of ways. I have a strong background in data analysis, so I, re- I really enjoy diving into, like North Carolina uses what we call EBOS, the Educational Value Added Assessment System, and that's for teacher growth. And a lot of states use something similar. It's produced by SAS, uh, but I, I really enjoy diving deep into that. It's actually what I'm doing my dissertation on is the correlation between EVOS data and NESIS data. And NISA stands for North Carolina Educator Evaluation System. Uh, so finding correlations between those two things, communicating with principals about why they believe those things do or do not correlate. And then discussing like how do we how do we find teacher attributes that lead to student achievement and then replicate those attributes and replicate those strategies in the classroom. Um, yeah. Yeah. I love that because it really takes a strength-based approach to teacher evaluation and it's not punitive. Right. right. Like, just like we encourage teachers to do formative assessments, I believe we should do uh, the same thing with our teachers from an administrator level. Like our, our evaluations, our evaluation process should be more of like, how do we get better each day? Um, yeah. how, and not like a, a twice a year. It just doesn't feel like we're working on improvement. It feels like we're judging people. Yeah. I feel like that creates an environment um, that's not conducive to, uh, you know, really changing your school's trajectory. You know, it's interesting because it's the same thing that some of our grading practices have done for years with our students. Made them feel like I'm measuring you for something that I haven't really taught you, but that I'm expecting you to already know. And it right. sets them up for, for failure in terms of grading. And we know now that those grading practices are not productive, but we're still using that kind of evaluation uh-huh. system in a lot of places for our educators. Right. Try to always reiterate to my teachers, like guys, that if things go great or if things go terrible, like that's, that's on me as a principal, unless I'm not giving you feedback. If I'm giving you feedback, you're doing everything I've asked you to do and the scores still don't come out right. That's more on me, right? Because if you're doing what I've asked you to do and it's not successful, then I've got to get better on helping you understand what you should do. Like that's not a reflection of you. That's a reflection of me as a a principal. And if I'm not giving you feedback, then again, that's a reflection of me. I love it because it kind of takes teaching from being an individual sport to being a team sport. Right. Right. And teams practice and they get better. And one person getting better makes the whole team better. So, um, so where can our listeners find you and find all of your resources? Sure. Uh, so I have a website, which is uh, lampronllc.com or philiplampron.com. They'll, they'll both direct you to the same place. Okay. Uh, so you can go there, which is, you know, lampron is L-A-M as in Mary, P as in Paul, R-O-N as in Nancy. 
Um, I've gotten used to spelling it that way because I usually get asked. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but uh, LLC.com. And I uh, also have you know Facebook, which is Facebook forward slash Lampron LLC. Um, I have a Twitter. It's my personal Twitter, um, which is at P Lampron. And I also have LinkedIn. You, know, you can find me on there as well. Which is where I found you. So I will make yeah. sure that all of those links are in the episode notes so that people can reach out to you. Um, I know that people have questions and probably want to know a lot of things and where they can get a hold of all of these, the great resources and information that you've mentioned. Is there anything that you would like our listeners to know that I didn't ask you? I guess my two things that we always talked about at school was we can love our kids and hold them accountable. We can do those two things and do them well we're probably going to be okay. And if we can do the same thing with our teachers, love them and hold them accountable. And if a district can do the same thing with our principals, love them and hold them accountable, uh, we'll be in a good place. As promised, you can find all of Philip's links in the episode notes, along with the resources mentioned and the College Board Pre-AP program. You'll also find more information about Philip and a transcript of this episode. If you found today's episode valuable, we invite... And when I say invite, I mean shamelessly beg you to take 30 seconds to scroll down wherever you're listening and give us a quick star rating and a one word to one sentence review. This helps us keep afloat in the vast podcast ocean. And more importantly, it helps other educators like you find us and benefit from the topics and expert interviews that we publish each week. We're so grateful and we know that you will rack up some great karma in that 30 seconds. If you have a topic or resource you'd like to share with our audience, leave us a comment or reach out through our website. We know there are a lot of voices competing for your attention, and we want to thank you for spending this time with us on the Ed Curation Podcast, where we're reshaping learning.